Justin Trudeau insists on vilifying Canadians who don't agree with him. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. everyone thank you so much for tuning into the podcast this is becoming a theme here on the candace malcolm show is that justin trudeau sees the world in a very black and white way according to trudeau and according to his rhetoric which really he's heated up as of late we heard it throughout the election campaign and now that we're back in lockdown trudeau is sort of lashing out again and his, his rhetoric is very angry and according to him Everything that's wrong in the world, all the ills of society and the entire reason why we're in lockdown, not just lockdown, the reason why we have cues in our healthcare system, the reason why people aren't getting proper care when it comes to other illnesses like cancer, it's all simply because of the unvaccinated. If only those people would change their minds, come around to his point of view, get vaccinated, this whole thing would be behind us. Well, that's a bit simplistic thinking. And uh, to get into it a little bit more, I am joined by a longtime journalist and columnist with the Toronto Sun. I'm talking about Lori Goldstein. Lori Goldstein began his career with the Sun back in 1978, starting out as a general assignment reporter. He's covered politics at City Hall in Toronto, as well as Queen's Park, where he was the Toronto Sun's columnist and bureau chief from 1985 to 1990. Laurie has held a variety of positions at the Sun, including city editor, associate editor, and comment editor. Laurie Goldstein, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Candice. Well, you've uh, you've seen it all, and you've been covering politics for a very long time. So, I, I, I want to ask you your opinion on on the prime minister, on his approach, uh, you know, his communication approach, as well as his his handling in general of the pandemic. And why, why do you think we're seeing him get so angry and lash out so much at the unvaccinated here in Canada? Well, I think it's it's political, and it's unfortunate. Uh, the Trudeau government has polls both internally and externally that shows that um, a lot of Canadians are angry at the unvaccinated. And so he's playing to that. Um, to me, that's not what a leader is supposed to do. A leader in a time of crisis is supposed to bring people together. But it, it's, it's beyond that. To Sometimes he makes a distinction between people who are genuinely vaccine hesitant and people who have, um, and people who have medical exemptions and children who can't be vaccinated, very young children. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes, as you said, it's just this tsunami of anger directed at the unvaccinated. And to me, that's wrong. It's wrong on the facts. And it's not what we need as a country. Um, Abacus Data, who's a pollster, who's hardly critical of the liberals, um, did uh, some very interesting polling uh, over the summer. And it found that the uh, people who don't want to be vaccinated are into two groups. One of them are what we call the vaccine hesitant. That may be a bad term, maybe call it vaccine skeptics. And the other is people who are what we would call anti-vaxxers. They will never get vaccinated. But half of that group, millions of Canadians, are people who are genuinely concerned about the, their health when it comes to um, the vaccines. Um, data, uh, Abacus data found they are not ideologues. Uh, they vote uh, along the same lines as in elections. As, um, as they stand on this issue. Um, they're just genuinely skeptical of government in general, more so than I guess the average person. And, they're, um, and they have legitimate concerns and they're the group we can reach. They're the group, so in other words, we can probably cut by half the 4 million Canadians who aren't getting vaccinated if we keep sending the right messages to them. When I wrote that column, uh, people thought that it would be a, I would get a negative reaction. I got an enormously positive reaction, and I had I had heartbreaking emails from from people who 
were denied access to their family over Christmas, even though they agreed to be um, uh, tested. Um, and when you looked at their concerns, these were not crazy people. They were people who had watched what the government told them, and, and a lot of it didn't jive with what they were seeing and what happened. Now, the other part of my column was to say that um, Prime Minister Trudeau and Ontario Premier Doug Ford have contributed to this vaccine hesitancy. How have they contributed to it? Okay. Well, a lot of information has now come out. For example, one of the original things that caused an uproar, the Public Health Agency of Canada saying it would be worse to wear vaccine, uh, a mask, less safe than wearing vaccines. And then it, then it did a complete about face. Now we know that when the Public Health Agency of Canada was telling us not to wear vaccines, there was a- Wear masks, I think you mean. Wear masks, I'm sorry, wear masks. There was a critical shortage of masks and, and personal protection equipment in the country because, because the Public Health Agency of Canada had ignored warnings for more than a decade to make sure we had secure stockpiles of masks, ventilators, all those things. And the, and the provincial governments had failed as well. So in other words, that wasn't, that wasn't a thing based on science. It was that there was a shortage and they needed to preserve the, the um, masks for people who were healthcare workers. Now, if they told people the truth, then people would have understood that. Well, okay, you screwed up, but we got to deal with this, so let's deal with it now. Um, the, well, the efficacy versus the efficiency of vaccines. Remember when we were all told to start that it was, they were not, their efficacy rate was 90%. Efficacy doesn't mean efficiency. Efficacy is what happens when you have ideal conditions with a test group and a placebo group, and you're making sure that all of them are following the instructions and yada, yada, yada. Efficiency is what happens in the real world. And what we see now is that efficiency is very different from um, efficacy. And I wanna be clear, I've taken my vaccines, I've taken the booster shot, I think people should, but as you're discussing on this show, it's what our leadership has been doing to us. Remember when they said to us, closing the borders won't do any good. Um, the vaccine doesn't respect uh, borders. Um, um, quarantines, bringing in people from planes coming in, that's really not going to help because it's already here. We now know that when they were saying that from documents that have since been released, that when the government was saying that it was being advised by its own experts, you don't have the capacity to do quarantines at the, at the airport. You don't have the capacity to check everyone out. So again, that's not, they weren't honest and truthful with us. Just tell us that, look, we have the largest un, un, um, unguarded border in the world. We have people coming in from all over the world. We don't have the capacity, but they didn't. They argued it was bad to do. And now we know that countries that did it, admittedly, many of them islands, uh, like Taiwan, which did better than anybody in the world, did this from the day they knew that the Chinese government was talking about a SARS-like virus. That was December 30th, 2020. And, and they moved right away and they had better data than we did in all those things. But it, what I'm saying is that these things contribute to vaccine hesitancy. You remember when the prime minister and many others, uh, uh, Premier Ford and many politicians said, the best vaccine is the first vaccine you can get. And then the National Action Committee, uh, National Action Committee on Immunization Advisory Committee, 
went, well, no, actually Pfizer and Moderna are better than AZ because AZ might clot your blood. And then the chairman of NASI goes on national television and says that if her sister died from a blood clot from AZ, she could never live with herself. But that if, but that if, but if the COVID was really rampant in your community, then you should take AZ. So as many people observed, so now they're telling us to take the bad one in the places where the vaccines are most needed. I took AstraZeneca and I went through hoops to get my second dose of AstraZeneca when the government was telling us, no, we're stopping those for first and we're, and we're stopping them for second. And I'm like, what are you doing? I've read the, the stuff on the risk. Um, it's the one I took first. I did it because I was a good citizen. I listened to you when you said, um, you know, we were the early ones, right? We were the early guinea pigs. We got the first vaccines, right? Now you're changing the rules. You're telling me I made a mistake. You're, you're, you're trying to deny me access to the one. Now you tell me to take another one. No, that wasn't the deal. Um, and, and having said that, I've since been boosted with, with Pfizer because now I think there's been a lot more data and I'm more comfortable. But to not think that decisions like that by all governments in Canada didn't contribute to people who were already hesitant for their own reasons, who may have had um, bad reactions to flu vaccines, to sort of sort of dismiss those people as the people that are now forcing people not to have cancer surgeries. It, it, it's, I don't want to overstate it, but to me, politically, that is evil. This is a much more complicated issue than that. There are people, I agree, the, the ones who go and protest outside hospitals, you know, and, 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 and stop political meetings and throw, and throw rocks at the prime minister or pebbles. Like, that's insane. And we all agree with, with that. But, but, but this is a nuanced problem. And, and to me, the reason Trudeau's doing it is he's, he's very smart politically. He knows that if, if this thing gets worse and worse and worse, people are going to look for um, scapegoats and the scapegoat will be him and the premiers. So very early on, he's establishing this idea that all of the problems we've had, all of the failures, all of the misinformation, all of the, the fact that we were late in getting vaccines because the Trudeau government was for reasons no one understands, thinking that it would be a good idea to have a Chinese company do our vaccines. At the same time, they were, they were holding Canadians hostage. They were committing genocide with the Uyghurs. They, they, were, threatening, um, they were threatening Taiwan, um, all that stuff. And his government was negotiating uh, with, and it wasn't, to fairness, it wasn't the company that, that screwed it up. It was the Chinese government. And they knew that had happened for months and months, but they didn't say anything. Then they announced it. And then they said, and then, so people made the logical conclusion. Well, you were late to the party getting vaccines because you idiotically thought this was a good idea. Um, all those things are why we are here today. And there have been failures in the provinces, no doubt. You, you know, um, they didn't take this seriously enough. First of all, at the beginning of the rollout, they weren't prepared. When they finally started getting the vaccines, they did a bad job of getting them out. So the point is that all these are the reasons we're here today. And this is happening in every country. It's not because unvaccinated people in Canada are uniquely evil. This is happening all over the world. This is what they, you know, they call a wicked problem. And so this is not a time, in my view, that you divide Canadians. Um, you, you try to reach out to them as much as you can, to try to bring people together as much as you can. That's what great leaders do. That's what John F. Kennedy did. 
Um, that's what in Ontario, I would say Bill Davis tried to do. He didn't segment off the, and one of the chief liberal strategists during the federal election after it boasted about the fact that they had successfully hived off slices of the Canadian population so they could win an election with the lowest level of popular support in Canadian history. And that that was a good thing. That, that, that slicing off those little things and appealing to this group and making this group hate this group, that's how we won. Well, he's doing the same thing now. Well, it's like the balkanization of our country. It's not going to last if you continue to just openly pit people against people and, and, and pit them against each other. Lauren, I think you did a great job of explaining all the many reasons why one might be skeptical or hesitant or, or at least say like, hey, let's wait and see. You know, uh, I, I think it'd be perfectly reasonable to say, let's just wait and see how this vaccine rollout goes for the exact reasons you laid out. You know, my husband and I were keen to get vaccinated because we just wanted to go back to normal. We were down in Florida and our plan was to get the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. We wanted to be one and done. And we we literally, we had our appointment scheduled. We were in Florida when uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantos and, and the U.S. CDC uh, banned Johnson Johnson, said they were pulling it because of, of, of concerns about um, adverse reactions. And so, you know, th th those are the kind of things that would make you sort of pause saying, you know, I'm glad I didn't get it because now they're saying it's not safe, even though you know, six hours ago, they were insisting that it was safe. And then there's another layer on top of that, that that you didn't mention, but this is the social media censorship that we have seen, which just, in my view, further uh, fuels the, the, the hesitancy and the skepticism. If you um, sow any kind of doubt about the safety of vaccines, if you ask questions, if you raise valid medical concerns, if you look at the way that the um, that the trials were run and you ask scientifically legitimate questions about that, you get kicked off of Twitter, you get banned from YouTube, you get your um, page removed from Facebook. And so, you know, the fact that we have all of these sort of forces uh, conspiring to silence one side of the conversation, and then we have people like Justin Trudeau demonizing them, I think, I, I, I think we're in a tough place as a country, as a society right now, Laurie. I mean, the people that I talk to who are vaccine hesitant and, and, and don't want to take this drug or worried that their kids are going to be forced to, they're upset about schools getting canceled once again. I mean, they, they, they have legitimate feelings, I think, of feeling bullied and persecuted and singled out. And I know, I know a lot of Canadians in that situation that are talking about up and leaving the country because they just don't feel safe and comfortable. I mean, what, what, what a sort of sad reflection on our country. What do, what, what do you think the, the way out of this? How can we, how can we sort of heal these um, mend these wounds and, and move forward uh, post-COVID uh, if that ever does happen. But but what, what, what do you think should be done here? I don't think our politicians, given their record, can do anything. Um, uh, it has to be um, it has to be our civility towards one another. It has to be that we all live together in a social contract. Um, it has to be that, and, and look, you know, let's be honest. I mean, I'm as I was much a part of this as anybody. I think I mentioned that one of the, I think the great failures of our industry was at the beginning not to explain that 90% efficacy didn't mean 90% efficiency. It didn't mean nine out of 10 people weren't gonna get it. It meant, it meant in ideal conditions, that's about as good as it can get. And then of course, there were the game changers. The fact that uh, we learned that even if you've been vaccinated, you can transmit it to other people. All the, that these are not vaccines like measles vaccines, where if you're vaccinated, you can go into a room full of people who have measles and you're in all likelihood not going to get it. That doesn't mean the vaccines were, 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 were bad. I, I mean, you know, the, 
obviously there was a goal to this is going to kill a lot of people. We got to make them so that it will make people less sick. And they certainly, I agree, do that. But 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 my concern is always that you can make you can make societal changes that damage us for decades to come in the space of a few months. You can establish a level of distrust that Canadians might have of their government, and more important that they might have of each other, that will will supersede the pandemic because we'll get over this pandemic. All pandemics end. Um, it's similar to what I always say to people when uh, years ago there was a teacher strike and uh, the sun was, the paper I worked for was against the strike. And I had all kinds of teachers phoning me and saying, I don't want to strike. I don't want to go out. This is ridiculous. What do I do? And I told them go out. And they said, but your paper is saying, you know, that there shouldn't be a strike. I said, yes, but if you don't go out, your life will be hell when after the, this will be resolved in two weeks and in a month, if you don't go out with them, you, and sadly, some people I know that happened to, they were ostracized. So, so that's the concern for me beyond what's happening right now, the churn and the yelling and this and the that. It's that we may, um, I think Canadians have always been good at acting with each other. When Quebec gets hit by the ice storm, I don't think the vast majority of Canadians objected to sending in help when there was flooding in BC, I don't think the vast majority of Canadians, you know, we didn't have that, what they call in the States, I guess, the blue state, red state division. But under the Liberals, I think we're starting to have a, a sort of Western Canada, Eastern Canada thing that's always been there. But I think I think it's now getting to an un, very unfortunate level. And, um, you know, when you look at our country, we're in, we're in um, an unlikely country. We're, you know, we have what second largest man mass in the world, a very small population, mostly right around the border. And so it's important that our, our interprovincial and national ties stay strong. And so that to me is the danger of the kind of rhetoric that, um, uh, that the prime minister is using. He's done it, by the way, this isn't the first time. Um, he did it in August during the election and he, and he blamed um, Aaron O'Toole for these demonstrations that were disrupting his thing. Aaron O'Toole had in fact said, as soon as they happened, that's wrong, stop doing it. You have no place in the Conservative Party if you're trying to shut down uh, the Prime Minister of Canada speaking. And yet Trudeau still blamed him because, of, because they knew that that was a popular thing to do, to find a villain. You know what it is. When things are scary, you want a scapegoat, right? So it's the unvaccinated. The problem is, and I'm not making a direct comparison, but we've seen in history what can happen when a particular segment of the population is blamed for everything, is blamed for, um, uh, is blamed for willfully not doing something that they could do, that the solution is just if these people don't do this anymore. We've seen what can happen. And um, it's, uh, it's a scary prospect. Well, absolutely. And, and I, I would put, I mean, I, I completely agree with the, the criticism you have about Trudeau and how he's made the country more divided. I mean, after his uh, victory in 2019, we saw the rise of both the Bloc Quebecois gaining back a lot of the ground that they had lost in previous elections, as well as a new sort of Wexit movement of people in, in Alberta and Western Canada who were just sort of fed up with his anti-energy policies. But, 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 but uh, you know, part, part of the problem is Trudeau. And part of the problem, in my mind, is the media and the way they cover it. And I know you commented on this sort of high-profile um, exit from the CBC, a journalist named Tara Henley 
Finley, who wrote a lengthy blog, uh, really laying out some of the real problems over at the state broadcaster. And uh, one of the things that she mentioned was the sort of new attitude where journalists don't question the narrative or don't question the um, direction and policies of, of the government or big corporations. And instead, they sort of focus their ire on people that, that, that they disagree with or people who have unpopular, unfashionable um, views. So I, I, want, I, want, I want to hear you comment a little bit on sort of the CBC and and how how the, the sort of culture over there uh, has an impact on, on all Canadians and certainly our political culture in this country. Yeah, I don't think she said anything that surprised a lot of people in terms of the criticisms. A lot of people feel that way about the, the CBC. She also did reference items that had to do with the pandemic in terms of how they've uh, 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 they've reported it. Um, uh, look, every media organization has a culture. Uh, the CBC does, the Toronto Sun does. Um, the difference is of course that you don't have to buy the Sun, you have to buy the CBC. And I think she, I think she was, and this, this was a person who'd been there as, as a producer of TV and radio shows and an occasional columnist who went there is this group think that says that there are certain correct positions on issues and that other positions are invalid. Personally, when I wrote about what she said, I said that I've thought that for years. I, I think that if you look at the, the mindset of the CBC, it is much closer to the views of Justin Trudeau and the Liberals than it is Aaron O'Toole or whoever the Conservative leader happens to be. And the um, Conservative Party, if you look at issues like freedom, if you look at issues like climate change, if you look at, at, at uh, uh, hate crime, uh, law and order. Um, and, um, and I think that is something that we should be worried about. Now, the Toronto Sun has a conservative view, but we don't go out and do research to tell Canadians not to use words like lame and um, grandfathering in. What, what was the CBC thinking of? We don't do a poll that specifically talks about, you know, less than half, almost half, but less than half of Canadians would be comfortable moving to Alberta. What was that about? They didn't ask any other, they didn't ask people living anywhere else, well, where would they be? And, and I remember, like, I remember tweeting on it and going, okay, um, but what about, most people like where they live. That's the simple truth. Um, so there was such a blowback that the pollster who did the first one for them went back and asked the question properly all across the country. And what happened? Turns out that Alberta was the in the top third of places that people would be comfortable living in Canada. It was the exact same level as for Ontario. And it was twice as popular as Quebec. Now, obviously, Quebec has to do with the language. I'm not, not trashing the people of Quebec. But, but what would cause you originally when you're in the story meeting and you're talking about, let's do a poll about where Canadians uh, would be, that you would only talk about Alberta and that you would organize the poll only about Alberta. And then nobody, when they got the story, wouldn't have gone. I mean, I'm an editor. You would have to be a doofus getting that information, not to go, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're going to say less than half of Canadians are comfortable in living in Alberta. What about everywhere else? And then when they did the story, rather... <laughs> Rather than talking about the key factors, yeah, well, we said less than half. Well, actually, they're in the top third, and it's the same as Ontario, and, um, you know, yada, yada, yada. Rather than doing that truthfully to, to sort of refute what the first poll had said, 
they led off with that the most popular places to live in or to be comfortable in were BC and Atlantic Canada. What's that got to do? That's not the issue. The issue is you did a poll because you were trying to smear Alberta. So other media, I think, like, like in their complaints, people complain about all of them. They complain about the sun. You know, so I'm not I'm not trying to, but but it's 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 and I did one of my first jobs in media was as a gopher at um, a CBC National Radio when I was very young. And um, I've written that, well, it was the caste, British caste system there. Uh, my job, I was lowest, you know, lowest, last hired, lowest down. So my job was to smile when people were having a bad day and they yelled at me. But they, they were serious journalists. I, I mean, when I dealt with those folks in a very low level, and when they, when they allowed me to start, start writing brief items, they taught me how to do things, how to write it coherently, how to write it accurately. So, you, you know, back then to me, it was a very different culture. Um, it, whatever the fights within the CBC were, they were about putting out the, the, the news accurately, you know, and they had icons who did that. I don't think it's the same anymore. And, um, and it's the particular problem. If they were privately run, live long and prosper. If you think that's where your market is, you know, fill your boots. But you're the national broadcaster. Um, you know, you, you're supposed to, you tell us that your mandate is to look at, um, you know, things nationally. When I asked the CBC, well, what about Tara Henley's things? They said, we disagree with her perspective. We make every effort to cover the diversity of views in, in Canada. And that's not just our, um, how did they word it? It's not just what we do, it's our responsibility. I, you know, uh, okay. And, and the person who said it to me, I, I smart person and, and, and I thank them for their, their input. Um, but, but I'm not sure that that's how many Canadians would think the CBC behaves today. Well, it's, it's so interesting, Laurie, because it's sort of like the worst of the worst of the sort of the fringe far left ideology, the dogma, the way that they um, look into and pull out race as a center of every aspect of every story like that, like a story can't be about, you know, a community or it can't be about a family. It, it has to they have to focus on the issue of race, which is often so divisive. It's like it's like people sitting around. You mentioned earlier in the interview that Canada doesn't have the same sort of red state, blue state divide where we're, where we're sort of coming apart as a country uh, we're pretty you know united in some ways and, and yet here's cbc sitting around a table scheming about hey, how can we bring in the sort of divisive american woke culture and, and and bring it up to canada to try to further divide a country oh i have an idea uh let's 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 uh, look into and try to tell a story about how nobody likes alberta and nobody wants to move there it's like it's like they're designing news to, to try to divide the country well henley said in her experience as since I think it was 2013 before she resigned as a, a producer and, and um, of TV and radio and an occasional columnist that she was aware that in booking guests, people had to basically fill out the background of these people. Who are you booking? And the reason was they wanted more of certain types of people and less of other types of people. Now, I agree that there is legitimate concern that you want um, your you, you want the, your commentary to reflect the country right and so um, I'll give you an example if there's an issue about economy and there's an Asian or a black or a Filipino call, you know economist who, who's, who's expert on this well then of course you go and get them um, of course you know like in other words you're not putting that person on because of their color you're putting them on because of their expertise and what may well have happened in the past 
is that is that people movies weren't put on simply because oh, our audience won't like that you know that was wrong and that needed to be corrected but when you're when you're sitting on your staff so much that they are filling out forms well okay this person was this and this person was this and i got i know i got to make more people from this group rather than that group and nobody in the organization goes what is going on? This this is creepy. This feels wrong. Like we're putting race above everything else. And I, I, I know there's a whole section on CBC's website called Being Black in Canada. And I, I get the kind of concept is like, hey, let's tell more stories from people of diverse backgrounds. But but when you have a, a whole dedicated section on your website, and, and I read it, and it's like they're really kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel just to come up with stories. And like it's like sitting around, hmm, how can we tell a different story of racism in Canada? How can we retell the story that we think Canada is this horrible, racist, irredeemably racist country? And just different iterations of the same thing over and over again. And it's like, that they're pumping it out. It's like propaganda, Laurie. It's, it's uh, to me, just so wrong that, that we're paying for it again. Ben, um, I'll give you an example. I did a story about a huge, uh, it's, I guess, the primary award that, that um, you know, honoring Black citizens. And um, uh, it's called the Harry Jerome Awards. And I've covered, I'm astounded by the, by the quality of these winners. Um, they would be winners anywhere. And, you know, like, how often do we hear about that? How often do we hear about actually, no, this community is integrating really well. And here's things they're, they're, they're doing with other communities. And here's Arab groups and Jewish groups working together, um, you know, to try and achieve things or, or working together on, on, on charitable endeavors. I worked for 20, uh, more than two decades with a, a, a Black charity that, that was founded by Jamaican Canadians who gave um, who were able to gather millions of dollars in donations in food and in, in, in hospital supplies. They sent them to Canada. They sent them around the world. And, and um, you know, and, and just, just they were everyday people. And, and like, but of course, when you do that story, oh, that's a happy story. You do it once a year and away we go. Um, uh, like, are we really the, the most racist country in the world? Are we really the equivalent of apartheid South Africa? Um, uh, I don't think rational people believe that. Um, but, uh, but also what I noticed when I, when I broach subjects like this, people say to me, I'm so glad you're saying it because I'm afraid to say it. And that's the insidious thing. People are afraid to say things that are, are you know, hell, they went after Rex Murphy because he said Canada wasn't a racist country. Like, 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 okay, you can you can disagree. You, you can say, well, look, that that minimizes the problem. You know, understandable. Or Wendy Mesley, basically her career destroyed because in two story meetings, she used the N-word and she said the full word because she was angry about racism. Now, and and yes, the, the context doesn't matter anymore. Like, okay, maybe it wasn't sensitive and maybe, you know, if somebody objected, she could apologize and not do, but really you create her a 40 year career, whatever you think of, 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 you know, Wendy Mesley and her work in the CBC, she was a loyal soldier to them. And you crater her based on that, that you can't use when you're angry about racism, the N word in a story meeting, right? But don't say lame and don't say grandfathering in. What is wrong with you people? What is wrong with your management? What do you well, think? there's just there's just so much there is so much wrong with it. And, and right. Like the, the, the idea with Rex Murphy is call him 
it wasn't just saying Canada's not a racist country. It says that we're not a country defined by racism. When you think of Canada, you don't, of course there's racist people. There's racist people all over the planet of every color. And when you, you use racist time, country, it's like, you're saying a specific thing. Yeah, when you say yeah, Canada- it's like you're, you're defined by it. Yeah, exactly. But, but I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, we could go on forever about this, but the um, Ontario Divisional Court just ruled that you can't ask math teachers to pass a basic grade nine math exam because it's racist. Not because the law itself is racist or the intent of the law is racist, but because the impact is, has, is racially uh, divided or, or whatever. So it's like every, they, 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 they find racism in, in just every mundane thing. And I think it's, it's really having a bad impact on our society. It's really tearing us apart at a time when our prime minister is also doing everything he can to vilify people that he disagrees with. So Laurie, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough time in Canada right now, but we really appreciate you coming on the show and helping us uh, make sense of it. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show.